It's time for a new adventure. Welcome back to the Adventures in Business podcast. We are in season three and we are here recording in the Risky Studios in East Lansing. So thanks so much to them for partnering with us and making us look professional and amazing. This is your co-host, Amy Zander with CD Media, and I'm here with my uh, trusty sidekick, Lisa Fisher. How are you doing, Lisa? Doing fantastic, Amy. How are you? I'm great. I'm Good. great. And our guest today is Brent Forsberg. Hi, thank you for having me. Yeah, it's good to have you here. Before we jump into what you do and and all that good stuff, we like to little chit chat about what we've been doing around town. So Lisa, have you done anything exciting lately? You know, wasn't exciting, but we had Alicia's authentic Mexican and deli Mm. cater for my dad's um, celebration of life. And they did a phenomenal job and they have a, a location down on Grand River in Lansing, but they took care of, of everything and their food was amazing. And we've had people that were attending that have booked oh, yeah. for their events. Their it tamales. So good. Mm, so good. Now I'm hungry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm really excited. We bought tickets for the first show that I'll attend actually later in February at the new Graywall Hall Music Center downtown. So I'm really excited to check them out and go to that, to that show. We're going to see um, May Earlwine. What you, Brent? What have you been up to? Probably can't see on the uh, podcast, but uh, by my wayside, you like eating out a lot in town. Yes, and, uh, of course. Yeah, in the last uh, week and a half, I have been doing portion control being a, a new year, which is good. And it's been working so far. Love the People's Kitchen. So I've been eating there and been there twice. And then also Philly's Best Steakhouse. Mm, so Nice. Yeah. Yes. Two great, but two great places. Looking forward to trying out those tamales. So. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then, um, of course, uh, last week we had Groovy Donuts. They were our, our guests, too. So that's another place to check out. And I think you, you, you're you familiar with that. Yeah, right? that's, yeah. A, that's a fun place. It's uh, not too far from my house. So okay. the, the kids will, why don't we go up there and pick up some donuts for the weekend? It's hard to say no to that. <laughs> it really right? is. I mean, how can yeah. you can't say yeah. no to donuts? Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Cool. Well, let's dive into talking about who you are, what you do, and your business here in Lansing. I'm a developer and I am third generation in a construction family. My grandfather started the company in the 1960s here and he did road construction and infrastructure. And as the company's evolved over over the generations, I've taken it in a direction where we're focused mainly on residential housing, but within that, how we connect with the community as a whole. So not just the housing but the experience that housing and then the businesses and the green spaces around housing can all come together to just kind of readjust the models of how we think about how we live in our, our communities. From you know, Really starting pre-World War II, before the car, everything, everything was what was considered walkable, right? right? We had tight-knit communities, close connections. You walk down the street to get your groceries and have your social events and things where we just kind of spread out over time as we grew. And and one thing with Michigan, because of our geography here, it's really easy to spread out here. And that's something that we're looking at that as as we move into the second half of the uh, 21st century and start really looking at, at how we want our communities to be for the next 100 years, What are the things that we can take and learn from the growth patterns of the previous growth spurt, but also the one that we just came out of? And and as new generations start to move into our communities, how do people want to live? So that's that's our focus as a company now. What are what are some of the emerging trends that you're seeing? COVID has really given us a chance to to think about how we live within our communities. Right. We were all set at home for a while. We weren't having a lot of movement across broad areas. And, and people really thought about the fact that getting out of the car for a moment 
felt good. Right. And, <laughs> and we saw a lot of communities that had really dense populations that still haven't opened up some of their streets because when people are able to walk down there and be part of it and live within that space, it just, it feels better. Oh. So, so, you know, and, and those are things that we're looking at and it's community by community. It's not going to work for, for everyone. So it really starts with neighborhoods getting together. What do they love about the place that they live? What would they change tomorrow if they could? And where do they want to be? And those are kind of the three questions that start mm-hmm. the process of, of that understanding. And then it's just looking at what are the tools needed in each of these communities locally and around the state and the country, per se, to, to get to that answer of, of where do we want to be? Where are we at today? What are the values that we're based on to, that people want to be? Why are they here? What's the value proposition for being where I'm living right now? And why would I want to stay? Right. So are you seeing the emergence of a lot more like community gardens, green spaces, things like that? In, some, that, some, communities, in some communities, yeah. Like Southwest Lansing has mm-hmm. uh, strong community gardens. You know, they've got at the South Lansing Center, they've got the gardens, the uh, greenhouses, yep. They've got very robust farmers markets and they've built an ecosystem around that. You know, there's other areas where they might have a farmer's market, but the gardens themselves aren't really a part of the lifestyle there. Mm So, you know, that's for that community by community and and having these kind of diverse areas that people can live in and what the culture is hyper-local. Seeing that kind of emerge more through through COVID's been exciting. So there's a lot more to think about when you move into an area than just like, well, if I'm moving to the Lansing area, which part has like the best school system? You know, that's like a, like a, a, a question people ask themselves a lot when they're moving into an area, but then to really dig down into like, how do I actually want to spend my days? And, you know, the school system is a a question in our area, but in some areas that's, that's not a question at all because of either private schools or just the culture that's there. And, and that's where understanding why is that question being asked and, and looking at, okay, so are you asking it? because it's something that's important for certain programming in a school? Or was it just asked because the last 10 people you talked to asked that question? Sure. Yeah. Right. Or tax dollars or whatever. Yeah. That's interesting. And it comes down to this concept called values of place. So understanding what the place is that I'm a part of or want to move to and, Mm -hmm. and what is that culture and we kind of went through this area and, and you know, government ebbs and flows and our culture ebbs and flows from you know, going to kind of growing and then you have the centralization and then you end up with kind of a, a reset, right? And we see this in neighborhoods and things that you have what they call, you know, the uh, pioneers that are coming back into an area and then you have, or the disruptors, whatever the, mm-hmm. the term mm-hmm. that is right now that kind of changes the culture. And, and that's just kind of the cycle that happens in a neighborhood matures and you have things kind of centralized, bigger businesses come in. And then maybe over time, if it hasn't been set up for multi-generational to be able to move in and, and cover an entire life cycle, it might go into decline for a little bit, but kind of a new culture resets. So, you know, when we think about that, this is very much an American thing post-World War II and something that, that we just kind of let happen because we went to this idea that we're going to put just this type of residential house here and we're going to put this industrial over here and we're going to put our big box stores here. And then it made it so people really can't have that entire cycle working together. And, and that's what we're seeing with COVID. It kind of changed. People are like, oh, wait a minute. Uh, is this something we really want to do? Mm-hmm. Who likes sitting in their car on a highway? Nobody. 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 <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I am not one of those people that likes to sit in 
on in my car. If we're not, if I'm not moving, I'm not happy. And so <laughs> it's not a good time. <laughs> when that happens to me, I, I'm always reminded of, wow, it would be so nice to have a personal driver. So I can yes. sit in the back of my car, like a true mobstress of marketing. I could sit in the back of my car and make my calls or do my work or whatever, which is why one of the reasons why I love taking the train to Chicago, right? Because I can just sit in the train and do what I want. I don't have to drive. I have yep. teenage drivers. I should make them drive me around. <laughs> I got that uh, advantage for about two years and now they're they're out of the house and the, the youngest has another four, five years, I guess, till he's behind the wheel. Yeah, so, the wheel. but I loathe being behind the wheel of a car. When we think about Michigan specifically, and we start thinking about transportation and I was at a, a meeting and they were talking about public transportation and the lack thereof and, and housing, right? In the community. What role do you see in the growth of the Michigan area with transportation and housing connected public transportation? That's the tough question. And there, there's a lot of the design that goes into what does that mean for, for us? A lot of it's going to be based on population growth of what types of services that we can have. And we, we, the, we as a region looked 2016-ish about doing the bus rapid transit. That wasn't something that got a lot of support. So you know, we're still on this kind of fragmented system. And, and to a point, at least through one more generation, we're probably going to be staying there. But it's Two, when we're in these neighborhoods, it's okay to embrace the car. I mean, it's what built our region. But understanding that if we have some better wayfinding, that maybe parking in the parking ramp downtown one block from the stretch isn't such a bad thing. You know, it's been nice last summer. A few times I couldn't park on the same block that I was going to eat at a restaurant at. And I was like, And people get scared about that, but that's that's a good thing because that means there's people down there. And when it gets big enough, you can actually close a street. And and a good example of that is Silver Bells. I mean, people might complain a little bit about having to walk three or four blocks, but at that point, people are down there for a purpose, to experience, to get to the restaurants and, and to see the parade. So when you think about that, it changes the concept of what the street is. And how we interact with it. When we're looking at that, it's just understanding how do we design for both. And that's the tension that the developer to look at because everybody thinks they want to park directly in front of the spot where they want to be. And, it, and that might make sense. But there are things that we can do in the design that make it more comfortable where that kind of becomes a secondary to the purpose of why you're there. So out of curiosity, going back to you talking about what is important to individual people about where they live, what was the term that you used? Values of place. Values of place. So what, what are your personal values of place for where you live? I'm kind of all over the place. So, <laughs> you know, it, it really, when, when I look at it, it's about experience of the individual spot. And what I mean by that is the projects that we do in downtown Lansing are going to have different values than what we're doing in Eaton Rapids. Let's just take uh, Gateway downtown, the one that we're just opening. We're getting ready to do the last building. It's called Gateway because it's at the corner of Malcolm X and Washington, right at 496. And it is the connection point between the Rio Town neighborhood and the Central Business mm-hmm. District. Let's start at Washington and Michigan and ground zero for our downtown. So from there to the highway is about a 12-minute walk. So when we look at how we set the patterns of places, generally you want people to be no more than five to seven minutes from services. So when you're in a direction that somebody that would be sitting right in the middle could be five to seven minutes from two spots. So when we're looking at the places like the old Lake Trust building, that's now the uh, City View Apartments. 
we were part of the design team on that of kind of how all these things connect. And that's where Ovation's going as well, because that becomes that next hub. That's the six, seven, eight minute walk from downtown. It's about 10, 12 minutes from Saddleback and right downtown Rio town. So it becomes that spot that the connections have to be made. So it's now about getting the height on the building so people feel comfortable walking. It's getting people down there so people feel safe being on the street because when we're around other people, People are comfortable. Right. And right. when you're in an open space and all you're hearing is cars doing 75, 80 mile an hour, it doesn't feel that good. Mm -hmm. So for me, it's about what's important at each of these spots. So for us, we knew on that corner, it didn't need commercial. So it's heavy residential. And because those residents can then go support the businesses on both sides and have that experience where they can park their car, walk eight, 10 minutes each way in their two restaurants. And in both cases, you're about four minutes from from a restaurant in each direction, walking because you're about a block and a half from the first two restaurants on the edge of those two neighborhood centers. Well, that makes sense, being that walking distance and really narrating that and what is of value. Yeah. Because I hear so much about downtown has no housing and for nobody, but we have to go up. Yeah. We can't go out. And as we're developing those areas, that's drawing and attracting people down there because they like that walking distance. Yeah. And that will help with that transportation issue. Absolutely. It all ties into to that because when people are out of their cars, we're not having congestion on the streets. You know, one of the things that always makes me laugh, and I, I do it too, and I catch myself when I laugh, and I say, I'm stuck in traffic. No, I am traffic. I'm a car on the street causing part of this traffic jam that I'm upset about. And that's the thing that we got to remember is we are the traffic. Yeah. So when we, and when we say we want walkable or we want businesses, we got to support them yes. and we got to be there and be local. And that's the thing that I think COVID really brought to mind is people are kind of complacent. It's really easy to click a button and get something in, in a day or two. But if it's if it's available downtown and you value having the types of businesses down, then you have to go use them. You know, and I think my son is late 20s and where he lives, he loves walking and visiting the shops and having us come over and walk and visit. And then I think of my older kids They're Let's get in the car and let's go. Right. Yeah. And it's a generational different perspective. But I also think it's the location and where they're at and where they're living makes more sense. For Corey, because he's right there. You have this tension in research on housing where is it the design influencing the behavior or does behavior influence the design? And there's, it's kind of a funny two sets of research, but there's also this, this research in the middle that's saying that, okay, it's this relationship that plays off of itself. And that's really what it is. When we come down to it, right, there's no black and white in anything that we do. It's always this ebb and flow of what's happening in the moment and how we react to it. And this is where, when we're designing the communities and the values of place, puts that intention, the intention of that up front. So it's not taking and allowing the space to dictate everything, but aligning the space with values. So for downtown Lansing, it's going to be walkable. If we're in a rural area, you're not necessarily going to want to walk on a backcountry road that's narrow because potentially it's, you've got high flying traffic down through there. So it can cause a safety issue. So maybe there it's more trails or setting up something to get to a centralized park area that people can get to relatively easily. So, and that's what it's, it's looking at, right? It's, it's having the conversations with the people that are living there and uh, understanding 
What do they like about the space and what could make it something that has more value for them? And thinking about the downtown Lansing area, I know a lot of people have said that that Meyer market down there made such a big difference to the residents down there having a grocery store and things like that. And since you're very connected with what's going down in the town, what, what do you think is still missing? Residents. Are you feeling overwhelmed when it comes to planning for your retirement? Do you want simple, relatable information you can use today to plan for tomorrow? Check out the Kitchen Table Finance Podcast, hosted by Dave and Nick, certified financial planners with Shotwell Rudder Bear Financial Planners. They make retirement planning easy and enjoyable. Discover practical advice to create a retirement strategy that fits your lifestyle and budget. Get ready for market updates, intriguing finance headlines, book reviews, special guests, and inspiring case studies. So grab your favorite cup of coffee and join them at the table as they talk about everything finance and retirement. Go to srbadvisors.com or search for Kitchen Table Finance wherever you listen to podcasts. Going back to the 1960s and 70s, was when we had this period of time where we decentralized, right? That's the age of sprawl, white flight, whatever you want to call it. And it happened. I mean, it's just, it's part of history. We need to understand how did we get there? So it's this idea that we created a lifestyle that was going to be around having your own little green space, put your car in your garage. And then the original intention was you're going to drive back town because it was still the central business. Well, no offense to humans, but we're lazy. (laughs) So... All of a sudden, well, I could just move my business over here. And then you had all those zoning fights in the 80s and 90s for professional office and commercial spaces in these areas that were supposed to be bedroom communities. Because people are like, why would I want to get in my car for 20 minutes? Well, people don't. And that's the thing that we're, we're understanding now is that that's not how we build a community, that our scale as people is very small. I mean, when we're sitting in a room like this studio, right, it feels comfortable because the walls are at the right distance. We have mm-hmm. a ceiling height where it's not claustrophobic. You know, we have our distance space where we all feel comfortable. We don't feel tight. It's, it's relaxed. So the same thing happens when we're designing buildings and communities. But the problem is when you design for the scale of the car, that's not the human scale. When you design for the scale of even the train, that's not the human scale. So it's about understanding how do we want to live in that area? And then we're realizing that we want to be around all the things that we enjoy. And then for 40 years, we said, okay, we're not going to build residential in the highest density area of our city because the resident's going to be out. This is going to be our business district. So then compound COVID on top of that again, where we don't have workers down there. So what happens to all the businesses? They fold up because they have to. So, and this is where having that 24-7 community is important. So right now the focus is residents because we don't have the residents down there that can help when we have the ebbs and flows of the other markets. Seven years from now, it could be something completely different. And we'll address that when we get there. And that's where having that adaptive and open process is important because this is always evolving, right? Mm -hmm. Whatever we do today, it might not even be relevant two years from now. But what we do know that if we have the process in place and we understand the values of what we want a spot to be, we can constantly be shifting and making sure that we're keeping the community pointed in that direction to aspire to those values of what that place is. In your studies that you have done, because I know you've been working on this type of thing for a very long time, is there an ideal mock-up or an ideal structure? I know it varies, but is there something that comes up more common? 
So, and, and that depends on the intention. So if you're looking at a park that needs to house, let's say 500 people, that's going to have a certain length that you need from the stage. You got to have sound and lighting that can match that up. Now, if you're doing a stadium that's going to hold 10,000, that's going to be a completely different scale. So taking that to our cities. Now, some of the things that we do know, we have a short attention span. It's generally 14 to 21 seconds while we're walking. And, and it varies, again, person to person. When we are designing buildings, what that means is that we have to have a facade change that re-grabs attention every so many feet. And if you think about it, we built this intuitively when, when we look at classic neighborhoods that people enjoy, right? You have a bunch of small buildings that were all stacked together. Why was that? Because intuitively that felt good to us before we had best practices and zoning and building like a code. Mall. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> before we did that, because people would say, okay, this is the amount of space I need. It's comfortable. And we did that because something inside of us said, this is a good size space for a human to be in. And that's how we did it. So then when we look at too, the connection and the safety on the street, right? If we got a wider corridor street, you're going to have more space, which means you need more people to feel comfortable. But then you have to have the barriers between the car and the people because it's moving faster. Take Washington, where you have the wide sidewalks, you have a little bit narrower for the car that's more person-centric. And you have a lot of that design of those smaller building faces. Till you get to where we did the lottery building on the, on the 500 block, where it's just one long hulk of space. Doesn't feel comfortable to walk down there because you're feeling like you're walking against a wall. There's nowhere to walk into. There's nowhere to make you feel comfortable. So that's when we look at that. There really isn't a best practice because they change, but there are clues that we can take from just our basic biology and our understanding of how we think, how we move through space that we can use to make that comfort happen. What would be a, a next step? You know, when you start thinking of the development, the advancement. Biggest thing for every community is to engage and talk with each other. And that's that's the step, is understanding and having that, what is the culture of the neighborhood where I live? And then being able to take that and find ways to build on that from there. You know, from the national standpoint, and something that every community is facing is affordability and housing right now, which is where I'm working and, and spending a lot of time because in the 90s, a home builder could build a house and roughly 75% of the community could afford it. That's under 24% today, and it's eroding even faster mm -hmm. with interest rates. So we've, we've come to a point where we're having this acceleration where housing costs is widely diverging from the incomes of an area. So that's something that, that needs to be addressed. And this really started in the 70s with uh, that inflationary period. We kind of watched it ramp up slowly over time, and now it's on an exponential curve where we're seeing it diverge so fast that it's it's causing a lot of strife in a lot of communities around the country. And it's causing areas like San Francisco to lose population, which means that they don't have the workforce. So it starts that decline cycle. So what, what we need to do is look at how can we tie all of this together? And that's one of the things that I'm really excited about the state of Michigan and so many of our communities mm -hmm. is that we're going to hit this head on as a state because we have the best value proposition in the country of a place to live. I mean, with our water, with our resources, with our trail systems, you know, sorry, Oregon and Colorado, we have more <laughs> trails than, than most of those states. Now, do you get the epic views? No, but also I don't have to climb 15,000 feet up a mountain <laughs> to be able to enjoy nature either. And let's just face it, I'm not in the best shape to be able to get up there and, and I'm not going to be hanging from a rope rappelling off the side of a cliff anytime soon. Right. So, you know, you, you have things that you can take your kids 
kids to yes. that even if you have uh, not in the best shape that you can get to easily. Yeah. And that's that's what Michigan offers. And on top of that, well-rounded jobs and the cost of living here is one of the best in the country. So when we take all of those things, we just got to tell our story better. And then by adding these policies back in and, and adjusting and working with our communities, this is something where I think we create our state as that next spot where everybody's going to turn their head and look and say, wow, what, how'd they get there? But we're already doing it and everybody else is still kind of sitting there going, well, we don't know what to do. Costs are getting out of control. With the amount, so it's like the chicken and the egg. You think of all the space we have available, the trails, the nature, the hiking, but then the housing shortage and building affordable housing. How much of the land would we lose to be able to support that housing? Well, it depends on how we think about it. Look at any small town up north. They had double to triple the population they have now. So building back in and infilling is is one of the solutions. The city of Lansing, it's had populations, I think up to 30,000 more than what's currently living in the city. And drive around, there's plenty of space. So if we use our space correctly, we don't have to use up that much land. Because we've got to protect our, our farming and agriculture too, right? Because that's how we have a resilient community, is having our food sources close to us. I mean, it's how it happens right now. I was talking with a farmer a couple of years ago in DeWitt. They grow their strawberries, they get shipped to Cincinnati, and I hope that was the right city. It might have been Cleveland, but I'm pretty sure it was Cincinnati, to get packaged to end up back on the shelf at Meyer. That makes no sense. <laughs> no, but that's just the way we set up these supply chains to centralize everything. I mean, the our, our city's forefathers would be laughing at us for things like that, for understanding that, you know, and, and we talk about saving carbon and everything else, which is very important, but yet we've set our entire supply chains where it's cheaper to do this. So when, when we rethink the community, this is what I'm talking about, that it's understanding that if we, we value local, then we have to build these hyper-local economies that can then grow. And that's what aggregates in. And that's how we originally set up. You know, Michigan is the perfect Jeffersonian model of what the founding fathers of the United States thought a, a country should be. Spread out with an economic center but keeping it so people can live, be close to the agriculture, be close to amenities. It's going to be an advantage for us in the future. We went through this period of time where we saw regions come together, right? Indianapolis, Madison, and they had growth. You take those cities in Columbus. Them and Lansing were about the same size in the 60s, and they're all over a million in population center now. Well, Michigan's a home rule state, so it made it harder for us to do. So what that means is local government has more control here than in all of our surrounding states. But now is a time we can take that and use it to our advantage because we can decide at these hyper-local areas how we want our, our communities to live. One of the things you said is we need to do a better job telling our story. How would you recommend somebody go about doing that? One of the things about Michiganders is we're very hard on ourselves. So the first thing is changing our internal messaging about who we are and what we have to offer. And then it's when you're at the airport or when you're in another area, Letting people know our state is awesome. And it's it's all about the attitude and what our message is about who we are. Because when you have that five, 10 seconds where you're passing somebody, and, and I generally fly twice a month right now for school and, and work, and you have about 30 seconds in that coffee line to have a conversation with somebody and five seconds before they turn around and, and not talk to you again. So it's having that engaging moment and letting them see that you're actually excited about what is here to offer. We talk about the views and stuff out West. Everybody's like, oh, Colorado's epic. And it is. It's amazing. 
But at the same time, we have some of the top 10 beaches in the world, less than a hundred miles from East Lansing mm-hmm. that you can be in 90 minutes that will rival the Caribbean in the summer. Maybe not this time of year, but still beautiful <laughs> in their own right with the ice flows and things. And if you haven't seen them, yeah. get over there and see that. Yes. From where we're sitting in East Lansing, you are 15 minutes from Sleepy Hollow, from the Ingham County Parks down near Mason, from Anderson on the west side, from Lake Park and Meridian Township are all right here. And oh, you can get to them from the trail systems around here really fast. The One of the major trail systems comes right along the Red Cedar at MSU. That connects you to 45 miles of paved trail, which is soon going to be jumping up to 60 in the next year with the money that's being done to finish those connections. It's all right here. And you can be there in less than two minutes from getting out of work. Listen to you talk. I love your passion and your get because I, I've heard you speak before. I see, so I, I have a little advantage. But the passion that you have and the excitement that you have around this because we need residents. We need to tell our story better. And then you touched just a little bit on the workforce because it's it, it's all connected, right? So how do we we don't draw people here and keep the people that are coming to the universities, right? They're going they're going to go somebody somewhere else. We have to tell that story and keep them here to start solving some of those workforce development struggles that we're having and just even the mindset. I used to travel a lot as well. And I remember I was in Texas and a lot of my colleagues are like, why do you still live in Michigan? I'm like, I got four seasons and it's beautiful. I love it there. We play in the snow. I had made a comment one time about, yeah, the Great Lakes are down. I think they were down, I think 5% or I don't remember the percentage and they're like, well, that's not much. I said, it's a lot. If you really think about the Great Lakes and we provide that fresh water for you, you know, for the people that I was talking to. And so it's having that pride in the state and really knowing, being informed on what we do have and what we're offering. Absolutely. If you take that, there's a Great Lakes Council that's Mm -hmm. the province's and the states that surround the Great Lakes Basin. And if you aggregate that, it's the fourth largest economy in the world. And people don't realize that, that that's all right here. Those are the resources in the region that we live in. And that's what's important to understand is what we have available here is the fourth largest economy. In, in California, yes, they're the third largest economy in the world. But at the same time, when we think about what, what we are, and when we combine all of that together, because we're we're closer, you know, geographically connected to Windsor than right. we are to Sacramento. Yep. So when we when we think about these ideas and what's around us, and that's what the, the local is, is understanding these are the resources that we're stewards of in this community. So how do we use them to our benefit, but at the same time, allow them to regenerate so they're a greater benefit for the next generations? And, and this is how we can think about it. And this is where this starts of having that emotional connection with place. Because if you're just looking at it, I'm here to take resources and move on, you're not going to take care of something. But when you realize this is our home, this is what we're connected to. This is what our health and welfare and the very being of us as people are. Then we're going to think about it a little bit different. And that's that's what it's about and understanding that and being excited about the fact that we have the opportunity to be a part of this area and this region. Makes me just proud to live here, you guys. I'm just oh saying. God. You should be on, on a pure Michigan like commercial talking about this. Poster sure. Right. Yeah. You know, and, and that's a that's a great campaign, right? That did a lot for our yeah. tourist industry. Yes. But that's the messaging. I, I brought it up to to MSU a couple months ago. I said, you know, I was watching a football game and our competitor, I don't even remember who it, who it was that week, 
every two minutes, I'm staring at a commercial of their university campus saying, move here, come to this area. But it wasn't just the campus. It was about the town, too. And I found out we do some of that. But it doesn't really, it's more on the campus side and our side. And so they're talking about building that collaboration of, well, let's add more back in on the lifestyle of the region with that, because that's what it is, right? It's telling that story, any chance that we get, and it's on everybody listening to this and every person in this region, if you're not talking about and promoting us and ourselves and our our region, nobody else is going to. Right. And that's what it is. And people forget that, right? Oh, that's somebody else's job. That's the tourist bureau. That's Pier Michigan. But it's not. It's each of our jobs. I love it. I love it. So is there anything else that you would like to share? I'm, I am excited about the future of Michigan. Look, we, we are dealing with a lot of the issues that everybody faces, right? The monthly cost of living, how, how we have the connections, access to opportunities. But at the same time, when we look at how communities are going to grow in the future, I think we have one of the greatest opportunities to connect that because you take our, our tri-county region. There's 78 taxable municipalities in the Tri-County. Oh. But what that means is, and yes, it's, it's tough to kind of navigate when you're trying to do something big, but at the same time, on that local level, it allows each of us to be a part of the place that we live and really make the changes or not even change things necessarily. And there's always going to be a need for change. So I, I guess what I'm saying on that part is that it's really about allowing, how do you want that to have a better experience for you? So it might be changing some things, but it might be enhancing some of the others and and looking around, understanding the assets that are there and growing. And that's how we become the place that everybody wants to live. You know, 20 years ago, that was Nashville. And yes. you think about Nashville, that's grown uh, over half a million people, I think in the last 15 years. And what happened is it, it, it made itself the place, the entertainment where people are getting out of school, well, there's enough growth happening there. I'm just going to go there and find a job. And they might work a bar for a little while and then and then find that career job. But it wasn't about going there per se for the job. It was going there for the experience. And that's the thing to keep in mind is the communities that create that value proposition to keep the students and not just the students at the university. I'm talking about the students in your high school, your right. kids. Right. Keeping your kids here is giving them a reason to stay. And that's what it's going to take. And that's the thing that that I just is so important to make this happen for our state and and our community is it's being the spot where why would I go anywhere else? I have everything I need to live here and and I'm going to go visit over here because I want to see and experience other places. But at the end of the day, I'm going to live here because this is the best place to live. And that's that's the important part. And is at the very core of of the message that I try to bring out in what I work, but also my personal life. So that's it. I love it. Listeners, you heard it from Brent, right? This (laughs) is the best place to live. And (laughs) I happen to agree with that. So why we do what we do. (laughs) Absolutely. If any of you are listening and are looking for speaking opportunities for Brent to come and share, He'd be more than happy to spread his knowledge because I know we could speak on this topic for a long time. Absolutely. I love it. I love yeah, it. We, we love connecting with groups. So anybody that's interested in learning more about development, how to build capacity in your neighborhood, please reach out. Fantastic. Thank you so much for being here today. I always love listening to you. Well, thank you both for giving me a microphone for a few minutes. I really appreciate it. Yeah. One of the questions that we ask people before we sign off is if, 
there's anybody out in the community, I know you know so many people, so this might not be a, a legit question for you, but if there's anybody that you're looking to connect with, either specifically or in general kinds of groups of people and things like that, if, if they're listening and we can try to make a connection through our show. Absolutely. If you are interested in making your community a better place to live, reach out and tell us what your interests are and we can help find other groups around too. Because that's, that's what it is. And, and that's one thing that I know you guys pride yourselves on is building the connections because the interconnections, when we get together, when we share ideas, that's when magic happens in an area. So if you're interested in finding out about how to help build your community, reach out. We would love to talk with you. All right. And we do put the contact information in the show notes for the show, but Brent, tell us how people can easily get a hold of your company. Yeah. So our website is lansingrealestate.com. My personal website is brentforsberg.com are the easiest way to, to get a hold of us. We have all of our email contact right there. Perfect. Outstanding. Thanks again. This was so fun. I love it. I love your passion. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. This was a blast. Thanks. It was great to have you on the show. Appreciate it. And to all our listeners, thank you for joining us again on another Adventures in Business. We appreciate it. And we release new episodes every Wednesday. You can find us at zdiamedia.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And please, of course, go out and make it an adventure. This is a Zedia Media Production.